Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Hello everyone, it's Glenn Withers here again, co-founder of the APPI. And it's with pleasure that I join you on this fine October morning here in the UK. A big shout out to everyone around the world that is listening to this. Um, a, a huge thank you for putting us on one of the most popular Pilates podcasts uh, out there. We're delighted to see that um, we're rapidly rising up the rankings there into the the top five on our last check. I'm not sure exactly where in that top five we are, but... Um, you know, it'd be awesome to get to number one if we could. So please spread the word, let people know that this is out there. And of course, send me in your ideas and your thoughts on what we can do. Um, I've had a great response to the Shoulder Rant podcast from last month. Um, so thank you very much for many of you who sent in some really positive feedback about that. So I will uh, endeavor to um, explore some of my additional feelings on various ways we rehab various parts of the body in the coming months. Um, this month, we are going to be focusing on mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is a uh, huge topic, an ever-growing topic, and a topic that we've had increasing requests from our members and from the general public to get more information out there on that note. Now, mindfulness works across so many um, various levels um, within our own lives and in, within the way that we work with our Pilates clients um, itself. Now, mindfulness as a concept, I think, is one of those things, if I talk from my own personal experience, I'm still getting to grips with understanding exactly how I can embrace mindfulness and certainly how I can use mindfulness within my Pilates practice and my Pilates teaching. So um, as a way of trying to investigate anything, um, here at APPI, of course, we go and find the people that we believe are the most educated and can help us specifically in not only understanding the concept, but in helping us to evolve that within our Pilates teaching and our Pilates practice. So I'm delighted to say that this episode, I have a fantastic interview with osteopath and APPI Pilates teacher, um, Hannah Alicott. And Hannah is developing and slash developed a brand new mindfulness course for us here at APPI. She will be um, part of the conference sessions coming up in November, which are selling out super quick now, guys. So if you haven't booked your ticket for conference in November, please get on and book that. There is only limited uh, capacity within the various um, sessions that we have. Um, so I think we're, we're down to sort of the last 60 or so tickets available for the entire event. So if you have been thinking about joining us in November for our virtual conference, um, literally the biggest names in the industry are there across so many various topics, across rehab, across pain, across um, pathology-based programs, movement-based programs, choreography, new initiatives, ab workouts, it's all there for you. So if you're thinking about it, don't think too long, get on there and book it because it will get booked out um, pretty soon, I believe. But on the mindfulness side, um, mindfulness, the interview that you're about to hear with, with Hannah, I hope you'll just take a moment to actually listen to what she's 
trying to tell us. And I guess, in essence, that's what I very much took out of the interview as well. The ability for us to be in the moment and to stop for a second. Um, And since I did the interview with Hannah last week, I've been trying to implement this into my uh, sort of daily way that I work and the concept of there's certain things you can control and there's certain things you can't control and, and trying to fret and worry over things that are not within your control can often make our minds very, very busy and very complex when a way to be more efficient and more effective is to try and free our mind of those complexities that are beyond our control um, to accept <laughs> that, uh, that, that enormous phrase that I guess got many of us, certainly got um, myself and my family through the worst of the pandemic, it is what it is. And I do believe, I, I strongly believe you can, to a degree, make certain things what they are through hard work, perseverance, goal setting, desire, drive. Um, you know, you, you can do that. But there are also things that are beyond your control, things you have no capacity to control. And accepting that, trying not to let that take up too much space in your, in your brain or in your day um, is, is a skill, I think. But look... Um, let me hand you over to the interview with, with Hannah, um, and I hope that you guys will um, really take some time to listen to this one. Um, often you listen to podcasts doing a billion other things, but try and keep your mind a little free and really take on board what Hannah's trying to, uh, to teach us. So a reminder, um, uh, it's all about mindfulness. We have our mindfulness course with Hannah Ellicott available now on the website. She will be with us at the virtual conference But I will now hand you over to Hannah Ellicott. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this week's special guest. I'm here with Hannah Ellicott. And this month, we're going to be speaking about mindfulness. So first of all, let me welcome Hannah to Pilates 101. Hannah, welcome very much to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Ben. It's really nice to be here. Ah, yes, we've been wanting to get you on, on here for a while, so we appreciate you giving us your time. Um, so, Hannah, let's start. Um, obviously, you've done uh, a bunch of training with us, and we've sort of got to know you through your Pilates journey with mm. us here at APPI, but obviously, um, you have a, a very, very impressive CV. So, could I ask you, first of all, to give us that sort of, you know, 30 second, one minute sort of review of who Hannah is, where you did your training, what you're doing, where you're working, what you're doing at the moment. So um, my first degree was medical biochemistry, after which I made a a slightly unusual decision and joined the army. Um, And I joined the medical corps. I was there for five years organising people, not doing anything clinical, I hasten to add. Um, And then I thought, "Mm, okay, it's time to move on. I've had a great time. And I'd always been really fascinated in bodies, how they work, how they're put together, what they do, because obviously being in the army is a very physical job. And it was a toss up actually between physio and osteopathy. But in the end, I chose osteopathy. And I mostly worked just, you know, in private clinics um, as an associate. Um, And I I started to get a bit frustrated about why um, I needed people to rehab my patients and I didn't have that skill. So I thought, I'll, t- I'll train, I'll, I need to skill up basically. So I started getting curious and interested in Pilates then found the APPI. 
Okay, interesting. So just just before we go on to the, the bloody side, so yeah. in the army, what we what were you doing in the army then? Because obviously you said you, you trained as a Austria after the army. Yeah. Well, I um, I just went as a as a, like most people who joined as an officer do, go straight after university. And um, I went to the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst for a year to do my officer training. And, you know, it didn't all come naturally, I have to say. At certain times, I was a square peg in a round hole. But um, I really enjoyed being outside. I really enjoyed the physicality. And I, initially, I intended to go and work for an NGO. I kind of thought, oh, I'll go and work for Save the Children or Oxfam or Medicine Song Frontier or something. So I thought that kind of expeditionary environment. Um, in kind of essentially my role was logistics. So I thought that would be okay. handy. Okay, gosh, interesting. I didn't know that. I, I, I assumed your role was you know, as a, a PT or something more physical. No, no. <laughs> ah, interesting. Just organizing people and trying to kind of get stuff and people in the right place at the right time, but in like in the middle of the desert or in the middle of Bosnia or something with that, that added challenge. Wow. Gosh, okay. Wow, what an, what an experience to draw on. I uh, spent four weeks, I think it was, in the yeah. army uh, after I graduated as a physio. Oh, wow. and, uh, it, was, it was fascinating. Obviously, I wasn't in the army. I was a civilian coming in to gain experience and what have you. Um, and I clearly remember uh, Monday morning, this guy coming in, uh, when I was working at this army base and I said you know how did everything go over the weekend because you know sports in the armed forces is huge right and uh, he, he said um, yeah it was fine you know a few you know a few concussions and what have you but nothing serious like a knee or an ankle or anything like that like, all right good so a few head injuries is fine but as long as you don't have a knee injury that's okay then yeah, well, I have to say the army physios who I had rehab and treatment from were amazing. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, sustained various ankle inversion injuries from running and bits and pieces, and they were always fabulous, like really, really amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting setup, isn't it, when it's all, all there and everyone's, you know, there's no other things to have to sort out. But um, so then you, from the army, you trained as an, as an osteo. Um, so where did you do that training? Well, I went to... Um, a, an unimaginatively named college called the College of Osteopaths Educational Trust in North London. And the degrees mm. are, I think they're affiliated by Middlesex University. So, and I did that part time. I started when my last job in the army was recruiting. So I was able to kind of start to fit that in. And then I thought I'd add in another challenge and have a baby on the course. Cause you know, I was getting into my early thirties by that stage. Okay. Um, I thought I quite like having babies. I'll have another one. So I had a, another one in my fourth year of my course. My tutor, when I said to my tutor, oh, I'm pregnant having another baby. He just said, you're nuts. And turned, <laughs> turned home <laughs> I got through, I think they were very generous to me in giving me quite straightforward patience for my straightforward lower back pain patient with no complications for my final exam so okay. I was quite grateful for that um, okay. yeah so uh, I, I loved it I really just find it fascinating like how our bodies are put together how they work and yeah. then gradually getting more and all you know I think for lots of people when they start they're like oh yeah sports that'd be really interesting that'll be where it's at working with elite athletes but you know I came to realize quite quickly that 
you can actually almost do more for the less sort of exciting patients, if you like, like elderly mm. people who are really struggling. If you yeah. can just improve their functionality by 10, 15%, which someone who's working really well anyway isn't really going to, not necessarily they're looking at performance, it's different, but for an ordinary person, yeah. it's not it's not make or break. But if someone's really struggling, that can be massive. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. You can make a big, yeah. big impact on their daily life and just what they can do on a daily basis yeah Yeah. so rewarding then to think i've I've really made a difference to that person i've I've kind of helped move them forward and make them feel more confident in their body and more comfortable in it and feel that they don't need to be frightened you know i think sometimes when we see particularly acute patients and it's so easy to forget how little most people know about how their bodies work you know they really think they're going to break or snap in half yeah yeah yes it is you're right it is very interesting and rewarding isn't it rewarding yeah. when you make that change. Absolutely. Um, and then you, as you touched on there, you then were looking at it more from a sort of ongoing rehab exercise point of view um, yeah. and you came across Pilates. So tell us more about uh, sort of how that evolved for you and how you use Pilates, um, I guess, before we get on to the mindfulness side, which is what the, the big topic we're yeah. going to talk about, um, in terms of sort of incorporating Pilates with your osteopathy for say those back pain clients or whatever, how how did you find it? How did it integrate? Did it change the way you worked or not? Or how did that part of your career evolve? Um, well, as, as I as I touched on before, I was thinking, you know, I really need to have someone send these patients to, and I didn't know anyone locally. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll train myself. And I started researching courses and discovered the API and I thought, fantastic. So I signed up straight away. I booked the whole package of mat work one, two, and three, and the exam in a one because I knew if I had that exam, I had to work for it. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was really great. I mean, I was trying to do a mountain marathon and I got injured because I my CV fitness was okay, but having had three children in quick succession and being a working mom, I hadn't I wasn't actually strong enough in my body, even though my CV fitness picked up quite reasonably fast. And so I was really aware that it was, you know, I had to walk the walk, Uh talking the talk. Um, So I found it. So I I think when you have real enthusiasm for something, it comes across and people pick up on that. So, of course, I started using the exercises individually with patients and um, I started doing little classes, um, started at home in my sitting room with just four people thinking, oh, my goodness, what am I doing? And then I rented a hall and thought, right, if I can just get six people in there, you know, that will break even, it will make it worthwhile. And it just, you know, word of mouth, I live in a fairly small town. And before I knew it, I was full with the waiting list. I just think, and, I, and people are like, oh, I love your classes, I love your classes. And I always feel really self-conscious because, and I'm not just saying some in the podcast, Glenn, but I just think the APPI methods, it's, it works so well and it progresses so well. And, and it's almost not me. It's just like, well, I'm just teaching you the exercises and you're doing them and this is what's happening. It's yeah. Hard. Yeah, it is. It is true that it is good that the, the method works, but it is a lot about people also enjoying the experience, isn't it? And so yeah, being yeah, a good Pilates teacher is there's sort of the technique and the methodology, but there's also you know, the personality, the way you link it together, the atmosphere you create in classes. So um, I talk to a lot of teachers about um, that element of, of building a, a following, building a business. Um, there is the element of obviously the technical side of it, but it is about becoming comfortable 
teaching movement and especially classes, as you've said, and you know, coming from uh, you know that sort of one-on-one osteo treatment into a group, sometimes people can find that quite daunting moving from being more of a technician with your hands, what have you, to teaching exercises as a group. Did you, how was that for you? Were you, did you have any reservations around just the sort of group exercise component of what you were doing? I don't think I did really, because in my, when, when I was in the army, you had ah, to, of course, yeah. you had to be quite confident and you have to be confident working with lots of people and talking people through what you want them to do and trying to carry them with you. Uh, because, you know, of course you can tell someone, I need you to do this. You know, you want them to do it willingly, don't you? Whatever kind of yeah. work you do, organisation you're in. So I was quite used to speaking with people and doing presentations and my last job doing recruiting for the army and being up in front of people. So I wasn't so bothered about that. Okay. Um, and I, I just think because I knew, because I'd essentially, through my Pilates training, rehabbed myself or got myself from, you know, really nasty Achilles injuries from trying to, go oh yeah okay well I'm going to do a marathon again like I did before I had three kids and then going okay now I can barely walk around town uh, without being in pain it's like okay wake up call um I just think I I could really really know that if you just stick with it and keep going you're going to get stronger and when you get stronger you'll be fitter and when you're fitter you can do more um yeah but it wasn't I didn't it, it I didn't find it too much of a challenge going from one-to-one or one-on-one in a clinical scenario to teaching classes and I'm sure like lots of people there's quite an overlap between people I might start off seeing someone as an osteopathic patient and they transition to become a Pilates client or yeah. you know vice versa can I just talk to you about my knee at the end of the yeah. class yes true. so they're kind of both really self-supporting I think yeah it is true isn't it, it, it that way as well we talk about that in our clinics a lot in that you know having our physios delivering classes builds a lot of physio clients and you know having now physios being both builds a lot of Pilates clients so it does work really well when you can create that sort of um, you know circle of care so to speak. Yeah absolutely and also provide the continuity and know mm. that people that people can feel safe in your classes I think that's a really massive thing to me. Yeah. Um, that someone you can have someone in the class so I have like little code words for people say so people who might be perhaps in their early, only in their early 50s but maybe because of other health issues have osteoporosis and want to be really careful I can have a little code word like if you're being careful of your back come down with a long spine okay so they don't feel they can still have a lot of individualized care that's tailored to them but not feel uh, well also people a lot of people just can't afford to have one-to-ones Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to make things accessible, but also safe and still feel yeah. like they're working hard and working well, but um, that it can still be individualized. Today. Yeah, sure. Excellent. Oh, well, I'm sure people will, will you know, take a lot just from your journey there as, as well. A lot of people do ask us, they like hearing about, you know, stories of how people make those progressions, because for a lot of people, it is quite daunting, you know, making that leap to start doing your own thing. So. Um, I'm sure people would, would really resonate with that. So thank you for sharing. Um, but let's uh, let's move on to one of the main reasons that I wanted to get you onto the podcast is the sort of concept of mindfulness and how mindfulness can help us all improve the way that we work with, with people from all walks of life from what I understand. Um, but I am certainly no mindfulness expert at all. I'm looking forward to learning more from yourself, Hannah. But why don't you 
um, sort of talk to us a little bit more, I guess, from your point of view. I know you've done a lot of work in this area now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you have done? Um, and then maybe, you, I guess, without, I'm not sure if this is the right question or not, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Like, yeah. what is mindfulness and what is, really is it that you want question. us to understand about that? That is a really good question. Um, so shall I, I'll start with what is mindfulness, shall I? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and that is actually what I'm talking about at conference. It was a, a, a two-hour session on Sunday afternoon, I think it is. Yep, yep, um, yep. So, yes, Hannah is one of our, our brand new sessions at conference this year um, where she'll be delivering about mindfulness. But, um, yeah, please let us know what is it from an educated point of view, okay, what so is so mindfulness? So there's, an, there's a number of different ways of answering that question. There's like the kind of really short one sentence answer and there's the longer one. So I'm going to save the longer one to go into more depth at conference. Uh -huh. But shorter version is that essentially mindfulness is paying attention non-judgmentally to our present moment experience. So it's right. noticing, what, noticing what's happening, but without, without judging and just being in the moment. And we all do this naturally to a degree sometimes. Um, so you say, for example, you know, it's a lovely sunny day, you can feel the sun on your face, you hear the birds singing, there's a nice gentle breeze, the sky is blue, and you're just like, wow, this is lovely. And you're in the moment. Right. You're also in the moment when you're walking to work, you're a little bit late, the rain's beating down on your face, you've had a really rubbish morning, you're, you know, it's all going horribly wrong for you. And you, but we don't necessarily, we, in that situation, we can get really tied up in our thoughts and we can think, oh my God, this is just so rubbish. And we're so busy in our internal narrative mm. that we might not stop to go, well, actually, hmm, maybe I'll just be in this moment. Perhaps there are some other things around this experience that I can notice. So the difference in those, I mean, obviously it's easy to enjoy a sunny day and quite easy to feel miserable on a rainy day, but it's, it's looking at the mind state where we're in, when we're in that situation. And the judgment and the internal narrative that that judgment can kick off. So that, that might sound quite complicated, but essentially when people train in mindfulness, it's, it's fed in gently so we can look at our thinking patterns. And I started to get really interested in mindfulness when I would see patients who I knew I really couldn't do that much for. You know, I could work on them a bit, I'd feel a bit better for a few days, but I couldn't, I couldn't fix them. I couldn't, you know, if someone's got a really bad OA knee or OA hip and they're waiting for surgery or they don't want surgery or they've had surgery and they're still in pain, what can we do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they've got to turn, they've got to learn to live with that um, and the repercussions on every aspect of their life. But the particular patient group that I can remember so vividly, I had a patient who had quite severe fibromyalgia symptoms and I'd see her fairly regularly and then one day she brought her daughter as well and um, her daughter the, the patient suspects her daughter also had fibromyalgia and I just thought there's got to be something I can do to help these people help themselves because you know they can't come for treatment every week and it's only going to have a limited effect and I think it's unethical to say oh yes keep coming I'll get you better mm. nobody can do that and so I started just, I was really lucky. I'd seen a course advertised at the British School of Osteopathy, now called University College Osteopathy in, um, 
uh, Borough High Street in central London, where, where they have their training school there. And they were running a course called Osteopathic Mindfulness and Acceptance Programme. And that was working with patients on a one-to-one -one environment using a um, using something called acceptance and commitment therapy. So it's helping patients, and obviously the program they had was tailored to people with chronic pain and chronic non-resolvable health conditions, helping them come to terms with and turn almost turning accepting, which is a very difficult thing to do, um, accepting the situation, the diagnosis, and helping them find ways to live alongside it, to live with it. Okay. Gosh, Sorry, that sounds, that sounds really long. That ended up being really long ramble. But. No, that's good. That's what we want because I, I do think, you know, even in my own world, if I'm completely honest, there's a lot of, um, I guess maybe, I don't know if it's the right word or not again, but maybe confusion around what mindfulness actually is because it is a bit of a buzzword in a way now and everyone is talking about mindfulness. But, you know, the concept of, like, how does it, how do you take a client who's coming to see you, let's say, you know, with an OA knee or something yeah. like that, that they think they're coming for, you know, therapy for, i.e. maybe getting exercises or maybe you fixing it for them or whatever, yeah. and, and taking them on that journey of starting to become in the moment and how they can manage that. I mean, that sounds like quite a complicated skill to be able to, to achieve as a therapist well i mean it it is i mean it, it it takes about a year to train as a sort of as a, as a basic mindfulness instructor so if you do it with a omc the oxford mindfulness center they're kind of you know leading people with it but you can you can just integrate little bits and pieces into your practice so say for example i'll just this is what i commonly do with the lower back i know you mentioned me but say someone's someone's got a lower back injury and it hurts quite a lot um they've got perhaps quite a lot of tightness and um hypertonicity in their lumbers you know whatever the pattern they're presenting with but you've done all your neurological tests and you've you've you know, you've got them moving and you're confident that there's nothing really serious. They've just done a bit too much gardening, got like, you know, a low grade muscle strain or like a little facet injury or something going on there. So something that's really uncomfy and annoying, but not at all scary or dangerous in the long term. And we yeah. see a lot of people like that, don't make them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would just simply, well, I'd explain the diagnosis to them. And then I'd say, what I would suggest you think about doing is when your body feels pain, it's going to want to protect you against it. So the muscles are going to tighten. And we all know that, oh, that hurts feeling. But if you can, try and soften into it, turn towards the discomfort and breathe into that. And then the muscles that are bracing around the injured area that don't actually need to be working so hard can start to soften. So the injury is still there, but you're not letting the body overreact. Yeah. And Often people can find, you know, they'll say things like, oh, I tried that breathing. And we're just saying soften towards it and breathe towards it rather than let ourselves start to panic. Yes. Then it, you're, you've just got the injury to deal with, not the thoughts about, will I pick up my grandchildren? How am I going to do that long car journey? What right. am I going to do about carrying that heavy shopping in the door and all those other thoughts that go with it? And then when we're, when we're in that sympathetic, um, you know, heightened sympathetic state, when we're worried and we're in pain, everything's going to be worse and everything's tighter. So just by simply turning towards the discomfort, softening to it, relaxing, relaxing as much as possible, 
within reason, just taking a few reassuring breaths, we can just calm down the whole nervous system and calm down that tendency for everything to get quite hypertonic and clenched and mm. held and retained. And then people are being with the experience they're turning towards and they're sitting with. Obviously, with something more, more long term and more chronic, I'd encourage people to do um, the kind of gold standard in mindfulness, which is an eight week course. But that's, I mean, that's, that's quite a commitment. It's two hours a week, eight weeks, but right. that would be, that's, so that's in, in, um, that would be more for a chronic pain situation rather than a, I've just hurt my back doing too much yep. gardening yep. weekend yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because you, you, you used an interesting phrase earlier when we first started talking about back pain that maybe it's just maybe understand a little bit more in terms of that sort of almost panic state sometimes people get into when they think they're they're broken and that's something that this is something disastrous has happened whereas we all know that actually the back for example is a very strong very robust part of our body and can withstand a lot of strain and tension and we don't have to um you know think that it's the end of the world because we've got a back injury at a time um yeah so it's it's um interesting to hear your your sort of verbalizing that concept of that significantly increased activation of the nervous system that often happens when somebody is quite worried about what's going on and they don't really understand it and they, they seek our help to try and get that understanding um, but within that you spoke about their um, sort of relaxing into it and breathing into it is Breathing exercises, is that a, a big part of the way that you help people become mindful of what's happening or how does that sort of connection happen? That's a really good question because I think that a lot of the, um, a lot of the time we can kind of think mindfulness means relaxing. If I'm relaxing, I should be doing deep breathing. Um, but actually when we're working in a leading meditation or doing some mindfulness practice, um, we just actually breathe normally. We just right, let okay. our itself. We're not trying to make it different or we don't want anything special to happen. But what we can do is really turn our attention into the body and just pay, just be aware of what's happening. Like our bodies are so amazing. There's so much going on in them. So often we just don't even stop to notice. And just by slowing down and becoming aware, just the gentle expansion of the ribs, the rise and fall of the abdomen, just literally just a few moments, if you want to hurry of just being present being with what is now and the reason we use the breath is because you can only breathe now yeah you can't breathe in the past you can't breathe in the future <laughs> you can only breathe now and that's a that's a quite nice metaphor for what our minds often do because we ruminate and worry about oh it's so silly why did i say that or that con awkward conversation we had you know, last week, and we worry about what we're going to do and plans for the future. But we can't do anything about it, can we? But we still try to fix it mentally. Yes. Yeah. And equating it to the breath, it's we can only breathe now. So be in the now with just this simple breath. Wow. That's actually, I've never heard that connection before. That really, it brings everything together a bit, that concept of, yeah, you can't, breathe in the past, can't breathe in the future, you can only breathe now. That's an interesting, interesting way of, of looking at it. Um, and so you're, I, I'm listening to everything you're saying there and it sounds 
brilliant. And then I'm thinking about my own life at times. And you've got three kids, you run your own business, you're studied extensively. Um, you know, as you know, we have five kids and a business to run and what have you. So that, I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to understand how do I train myself more to allow that calmness to come over? Because sometimes my kids are causing havoc around me. And I'm, I mean, like how, again, from your own personal experience, you touched on there, you had kids going through your osteopathic studies and, and you've run your own business, you've expanded that to bring Pilates into it, you've brought this concept of, of mindfulness into it and you're, you're teaching others. Did, did, did it take a while for you to train yourself to be able to adapt these or did it was it something that just sort of clicked and once you get it, you're like, oh, right, and then it's easier, I don't know. Well, I should first of all start by saying, Glenn, that I try to be mindful, but obviously everyone slips sometimes. <laughs> sorry to say, I have to confess, I, I do occasionally get grumpy and cross with my kids, and I have been known to raise my voice on occasion. So that's just part of life. That's just part of being being human, isn't it? We, yeah. We, uh, we all have our, our moments. That's just, that's just natural. But in order to teach mindfulness, you really do have to have your own practice. Mm. You have to have your own practice before you can train to be a mindfulness teacher. And I will just, I, I'll just drop in at this point, it works quite well actually, how, why I first wanted to train as a mindfulness teacher from a personal perspective rather than as a, as a work perspective. Um, and that is quite sad actually, well it is really sad, it's a friend of mine who I trained with at Santos died really suddenly. She had some sort of adult, adult sudden death syndrome and her heart oh, just stopped one night. And the, the tragedy is really heightened by the fact that she was um, 34 weeks pregnant at the time. Oh, gosh. And, uh, yeah, she didn't turn up for work. And obviously you just, well, you don't do that in any job, but particularly not in the army. So some of her colleagues rushed around to phone her, landline, mobile, nothing, went around to the house. And there was, you know, car on the drive, dog on the sofa, house locked but no one coming down. So they broke in and they just found her in bed. And she just literally, her heart, she must've had some undiagnosed heart condition. And I just thought, what can I take from this? Wow. And I, how can I, you know, this, we all face these injustices in our lives, don't we? And just think, what, what, how can that be right? Mm -hmm. And I was, I was actually in Victoria Station and I saw a John Kabat-Zinn book in WH Smith's called What's it called? Wherever you go, there you are. So I brought it and started reading it. And I thought, you know what? What I'm going to take from Leslie's death is not allowing myself. I'm a naturally quite a stressed, I have to say. <laughs> I'm not going to allow myself to get caught up and waste energy in things that don't matter because life is too short. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hope that most people don't have to have such a moment to think I need to sort my stress out there's just too much I'm getting too stressed and too tied up about silly little things um so it's it's just you know just kind of you nurture it you practice you chip away but there's lots of things you, you don't just have to sit on a cushion with your legs crossed and your eyes shut <laughs> there's lots of things you can do so just coming down in the morning and having a cup of tea and trying if you, even if you can just have two or three sips and just really notice the taste of it the temperature the touch of the cup on your lips just maybe so you're just, I don't know, taking the bin out, stopping and looking up and noticing the sky, breathing the air, really listening to what's going on around. So we can do informal practices. 
just to help us be in here rather than going through that long list that we all have of jobs we have to yeah. do and tick off. Wow, gosh, that's quite a powerful story. And I think that uh, there's many, you know, I think for you to take something positive and, and find a way to, to deal with such a situation like that is an enormous credit to yourself, I have to say, because that, that is not something everyone could use as a motivation to try and, and do something else. So that is, uh, that's a, a, a thank you for sharing, because I'm sure that's uh, not an easy story to share at times. Um, but I guess what I'm hearing from you as well is taking those little steps first in our own sort of life, I guess, if, if you like. Um, and it, it's interesting taking the, the bin out scenario. Um, we've recently moved out of London to the, to the countryside. And um, I must say, there are times when it does force you to stop a little bit because you're so taken by your surroundings at times. And, you know, I often think, gosh, when I was, you know, in London the whole time and maybe didn't look up and look around so much and, and changing our environment has allowed us at times to say, you know what, gosh, I think it's okay. I'm just, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I could work for another however many long and I could do all these things that other people are expecting me to do, but actually look at this. I'm just going to go and sit outside and, and look at what's around us. So I guess that's a concept of mindfulness really from what you're saying is, is you know, accepting at times to just you know, stop and breathe and you know, be in the moment and that that's okay, that you don't have to be. You've you got know, it. You've got it. I mean, it's, it isn't It isn't really that complicated. I mean, I often feel, it sounds a bit rude, actually, about my profession. I love I love osteopathy, but, you know, it's just getting people moving. It's getting everything jiggling nicely and nobody's yeah. teeth nice and clenched. And it's kind of like mindfulness. It, you know, it, it re, some of the best things in life really are quite simple. Yeah. Just being, allowing ourselves the freedom to be without getting caught up and tied up in all those, I mean, our brains are, amazing kind of constant thought generating computers if you like there's just constantly they're thinking machines and that's what yeah. we try to do all the time that's just what minds do but being a, we can't stop thoughts we can't push them away we can't we can't ever clear our mind that's that's completely impossible but what we can do is just quieten the kind of constant list of jobs to do and things we ought to be doing in internal narrative just by tuning into tuning into now yeah. and you can do that just by putting your feet on the floor and just feeling your feet on the floor just by feeling your seat on the chair just by taking a few breaths or you could which would be the beginning of a more formal mindfulness practice or just simply looking outside and enjoying nature or enjoying the elemental weather if it's bucketing down with rain and yeah. the winds howling whatever whatever it might be I mean there is a there is a time and a place for formal practice if people want to deepen their practice or if people have had um, mental health issues or if they have um, physical pain or chronic conditions where they they'll need a higher dose if you know I mean it's like all yeah. interventions it is it is uh, you know there is a degree of dose that's needed to achieve a desired outcome 
So if people are feeling a bit, you know, just a bit stressed and harassed, then stopping and taking a pause, maybe, I mean, you can get quite a few kind of apps and stuff that do little mindfulness things on. That might be enough just to, just to help give you that little moment. But obviously we're talking about more of a, more of a clinical scenario. Yeah. That it, then it needs to be, then it, very much in this quite a lot of studies to show there's very much a dose, a dose related response. Okay, gosh, interesting. Absolutely fascinating uh, speaking to you, Hannah, I must say, and I, I won't give you too much longer, but I did want to ask one thing. With the pandemic and all of the challenges that the pandemic brought to so many people and lockdown and what have you, and you know, I, I sort of speak to my family back in Australia, they're still in lockdown and um, you know, lots of challenges around sort of mental health and Every, uncontrolled changes in people's lives. Did you see uh, a change in people seeking your help from a mindfulness point of view, or did you see that actually there was more need for it or anything in relation to sort of the challenges that everyone's had over the last 18 months or so? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, I did, I, my, my um, sessions were full. I, just, I was only teaching one course at a time. So um, once a week I would sit down and you know, click into Zoom and have my eight week course running. And I think people felt it was the feedback I got from people was that it was a really, really welcome sort of respite, if you like. So they could feel it was something they were doing for themselves, something that they were doing just for themselves to support them. So I had one participant who was a single mom. And so she didn't have much adult company. She had a teenage daughter who was a bit grumpy by all accounts, as it tends to be. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and, and she just found that that really helpful. And, you know, I, I, I had another another um, participant who had um, had a daughter who who's, in, who's a wheelchair user. And she was obviously quite worried about her for a number of reasons during the pandemic and brought her to live back at home rather than living independently. So huge changes that so many people had to undergo. And it, I think the thing about a formal mindfulness practice is that when we are facing big challenges we say weave your parachute before you need it you don't want to be there frantically weaving it as you're queuing up to jump out the door you you want to know that you feel resourced enough internally that when the challenges come you're ready or you're prepared I should say I don't think we can ever ever be ready for this sort of the the things that life can sometimes throw at us but that you have a resource within you that you know is always there and you can maybe just a little sense of being able to draw on that as you need to um and perhaps feel a bit less overwhelmed yeah. by just stepping back from those difficult thoughts or a lot of us tend to catastrophize i think during lockdown yeah. lots of people tried to stay really calm on the outside but internally were catastrophizing so just helping us to step back from that a little bit and observe our reaction and see if we could pause and turn a reaction into a wise response and that's what mindfulness teaches it helps us to not react, but respond with a sense of wisdom and what's what's the right choice for me right now. Yeah. Wow. Well, look, um, as I said, absolutely uh, fascinating to talk to you. We're all very excited about your session at conference. We've uh, had had lots of people booking on to uh, choose your session. So, yes, it's a very popular session already. No pressure. (laughs) It is one of those sessions. It's booking up quite quickly. Um, And then, uh, you know, um, you know, we're, we're excited to then evolve that. For you guys listening out there, we'll be, be working with Hannah to try and bring 
more opportunities for you to learn from Hannah and understand mindfulness as we progress on. But uh, that first step is, is conference. So if you're uh, not already booked on, you know, maybe this is uh, your chance to understand a little bit more about what it is. But um, look, uh, Hannah, what I will say is thank you very much for your time with us. Um, if you guys want to learn more about what Hannah does or find out more about um, uh, her courses or anything like that, feel free shoot anything into the Institute and Hannah will pass those comments or anything on to yourself as well. Um, where are you based? Where are you again? Um, I'm in a town called Lewis, just near Brighton. So down, just near okay. South. Okay, very nice. I can see the sun shining through your window there, which is quite different to where I am now, but I'll, I'll try and be in the moment and appreciate what it is that's, that's outside. Um, it's interesting, in all honesty, and I'm not making this up, I was about to be a stress head and go and try and find some petrol because I have to try and get home tomorrow. Um, but actually, you know what? I can't change that, right? I can't decide when the petrol station is going to get petrol. So actually, I'm going to not worry about that. And I'm probably just going to go and take a walk through the heat instead. So <laughs> you've helped me as well, because I could spend the next hour in the car getting frustrated about something that's out of my control. So hearing you speak, it made me think, you know what? I can't change that. So there's no use me trying to stress out about it. So. Um, I think there's many, many ways we can bring some of the tips you've given to us into our lives already. So I will let you get on with your day. Thank you very much for your time, Hannah. And, Thank um, you very I much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, guys, I hope you found that interview um, thought provoking. I hope you found it really interesting. And I hope you can take one or two. Um, moments of clarity from hearing Hannah speak there. Um, so uh, as, as I said there, um, if you're interested in mindfulness, um, you can have a taster session at the conference in November or, or go for it and book on to the full course with Hannah that's coming up um, shortly and is available on the website now to book. And so I started the podcast here um, by thanking you very much for listening to my uh, little rant last week around shoulders. So I have a new one for you, but this one is not so much about the way we work. It is a thing that I am facing in clinics at the moment. And this is a big shout out to all of you amazing women's health physiotherapists and pelvic health physiotherapists out there. The shout out to you is this. Where are you? We need you. This is a plea to let you know here at APPI Clinics, um, we are in dire need for more help with an ever-growing women's health and pelvic health business and clientele coming into the centres. Um, for those of you that joined us uh, last Wednesday night on the Instagram Live with Pippa Carter, it was a menopause-based session. And it was one of our most popular uh, Instagram lives that we've had, the numbers uh, listening to it consistently throughout was amazing. The feedback was great. Everyone thought it was fantastic. Menopause course, the anti-postnatal course. We've got an entire women's health certification program developing because it's so popular and so in demand from people booking our education. But I need you guys in our clinic. So I'm doing a shameless plug here on Pilates 101. Please, you amazing, brilliant women's health and pelvic health therapists out there, if you would like the chance to come and work directly with us in our APPI centres under the tutelage of myself and Elisa and our amazing team that we have at our centres, we want to hear from you. So please 
Send us a note at hello at appiclinics.com. Shoot us a note, shoot us your CV. And if you guys are out there and you're looking for a new challenge, we have an amazing program. We run a very supportive environment. It's a world-class facility, as many of you know. And we pride ourselves on trying to ensure that we have a very, very positive uh, workplace and environment for our staff. So we want to hear from you. We want you working for us. So please, your women's health and pelvic health physios that are out there, come and join us. We're really nice and fun and really, really good at what we do. So come and join us, please. Um, all right, guys. Look, that's, uh, that's it from me. Um, to everyone around the world, God bless you. We hope that whatever environment you're facing right now is this um, virus still challenges many parts of the world. Some parts are opening up, some parts are not. Um, to my friends and family back in Australia, um, my thoughts go out to you as you continue to face enormous challenges. To other parts around the world that I don't know about that are facing equal challenges, our thoughts go out to you as well. And so from Elisa, from myself, and from all the team at APPI Health Group across clinics, education, and products, we wish you all the best for the month ahead. Bye for now.